Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. Tonight on Revolt Black News Weekly. I'm on my lunch, walking from my car. Shanquilla Robinson, life matters. Justice for Shanquilla Robinson. Her family takes the fight to D.C. I need a rest and a conviction. What Shanquilla's family is demanding from government officials at the highest levels. He would actually tell people where the cops were. And in the beginning, it seemed like, okay, you know, it's keeping people safe. Then, did the FBI infiltrate the Black Lives Matter movement in 2020? Well, they did it with Martin Luther King Jr., the Black Panthers, and more. New evidence suggests they're up to it again. In the beginning of the Trump administration, the FBI had defined Black political activism as so-called Black identity extremism. Then, diving into sports history, how Black athletes are finally breaking into sports they've traditionally been kept out of. Sometimes it is even a shock to us because, you know, we see each other every day, we train, um, we're always around people that look like us, and then we go to a big competition and we're getting stares. That's all tonight on Revolt Black News Weekly. Welcome to the show. I'm Mara Escampo. We start with the death of Shanquella Robinson and her family's push for justice. Shankpala's family has taken their fight to D.C., begging officials to intervene in what's become a complicated international legal battle. And many are also asking why the death of a black woman isn't getting more attention and sparking the same kind of outrage we see in other cases. Shankpala Robinson, life matters. Justice for Shankpala Robinson. Justice for Shankpala Robinson. Pressure, lots of pressure. That's what the family of Shanquella Robinson says it will take to convince the U.S. government to aggressively seek justice in the 25-year-old's mysterious death while vacationing in Mexico. What would you want to see happen in this country if it was your child who was beaten to death on camera without clothes? In a press conference just blocks from the White House, Shanquella's mother, sister, and civil rights leaders gathered to demand action from the highest levels of government, the State Department, the Department of Justice, and the President. I need a rest and a conviction for all the ones, the Cabo Six. The Cabo Six, referring to the group Shanquella traveled with to Mexico on October 28, 2022. It's the same group that civil rights leader Tamika Mallory says stood by and just watched as Shanquella, completely naked, was brutally attacked in what's now become a viral video. A woman was beaten to death mm-hmm. on camera on, mm-hmm. and she returned from a vacation with her neck and back, her spine broken. It's very simple. We saw an attack. It's not clear when the video was taken, but Mexican authorities found Shanquella dead within 24 hours of arriving at the luxury vacation villa. 
A death certificate obtained by local Charlotte station WSOC revealed she died of a severe spinal cord injury within 15 minutes of her injury and that the death was accidental or violent. Notably, it makes no mention of alcohol poisoning, what the group initially told her family had caused her death. My sister was the sweetest person, lovable, business-driven. I'm on my lunch, walking to my car. Okay, so I feel like whatever happened or the situation that took place at that villa, she was trying to leave and they wasn't trying to let her go. Family attorney Sue Ann Robinson traveled to Mexico to personally retrieve documents in the case and says Mexican officials shared with her the identity of the woman attacking Shanquella in the video. The person who's been identified by the Mexican authorities and has been identified in the video is Dejanay Jackson. Shanquella's mother says Dejanay, a 27-year-old from North Carolina, came to her house after the group returned from Mexico to offer condolences. Still, there have been no arrests in the more than four months since Shanquella's death. That they have completed their investigation, the ball is clearly in the United States court. Say the that. State Department, the Department of Justice, the ball is in your court. That's right. Do what you have to do. Legal experts say there are two ways the U.S. government can intervene. The first, turn the suspect over to Mexico for prosecution. Because this person is in the United States, Mexico can't just come and take an individual from the United States. Criminal defense attorney Bernarda Villalona says a U.S. judge must first decide if a crime was committed and if it warrants removal from the U.S. She says the only reason extradition is even necessary is because Mexican authorities fumbled this case from the beginning. Could the individuals have been arrested in Mexico at the time that this took place? Mexico could have detained these individual or individuals because it makes it so much easier because the crime took place in their country and they're on their soil. How is it that no one questions what happened to her? Like, even if the people told you, oh, she was intoxicated, that doesn't answer for the fresh bruises on her face. So law enforcement should have asked questions. The U.S. government's second option is to file federal charges and prosecute the suspect right here. The United States government, the federal government, can bring charges against these individual or individuals. And why is that? Because a U.S. citizen was killed in Mexico by another U.S. citizen. So if they wanted to, they can take over this investigation and this prosecution. For some reason that we do not know why, it hasn't taken place. U.S. officials seem to be signaling that they're leaning towards prosecution here, saying in a statement to Revolt Black News, the FBI is working with the Department of Justice to determine if a U.S. federal crime was committed. Shanquella's case highlights disparities in media coverage for black women who are victims of crime compared to white women. Remember the name Natalie Holloway? The Alabama teen's unsolved disappearance in Aruba 18 years ago got extensive news coverage for months. The Natalie Holloway story just dominated. It was a sensation. It was also one in a string of stories that were grabbing headlines about missing, attractive young women, women who all happened to be white. Natalie Holloway was in our homes every day, and she should have been. Well, and so should Chanquilla We want the same attention that other white women have received. And in fact, 
We are calling it the white women missing treatment. We want to see right. that put in action for Shanquella Robinson. Right. I've been saying this for a while. The media has to keep on discussing this case. Persia has to be placed on the United States government to act. Moving on to another story that's been trending all over social media. By now, you've probably seen this chilling video of multiple people being dragged into the bed of a truck. We are closely following the assault and kidnapping of four U.S. citizens uh, in Matamorosa, Mexico. Last week, mother of six, 33-year-old Latavia McGee, drove across the Mexican border just below Brownsville, Texas, with her cousin, Shaid Woodard, and friends Eric James Williams and Zindel Brown, making the trip so Latavia could have plastic surgery in Mexico. Last Thursday, 28-year-old Zindel spoke with his sister. I felt a little uneasy because I told him I had a dream. You know, I said, so I'm just checking on you. That's what I told him Thursday. And then, like I said, Friday morning, I texted and I didn't get anything. The foursome left South Carolina on Wednesday for Latavia's tummy tuck appointment in Matamoros on Friday, which is the same day the group's van was shot at and the four were kidnapped at gunpoint. On Tuesday, two of the four Americans were found dead. Latavia and Eric survived, with Eric suffering a gunshot wound to the leg. Here they are inside a Mexican ambulance before being transported back to U.S. soil on Tuesday. All four of those kidnapped were found in this small cabin on the way to an area known as Baghdad Beach, popular for transporting drugs and dumping bodies, according to the Associated Press. A U.S. official tells NBC News the attack may have been a case of mistaken identity. Was this a one-off? Was this a mistake? Or is this a situation where American lives... Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. They're constantly at stake here, and should this organization be treated like a foreign terrorist organization? Matamoros is in the northeastern state of Tamaulipas, one of the most crime-ridden in Mexico. It's one of six states listed by the State Department for Americans not to travel to, citing kidnapping, gun battles, murder, and sexual assault. Check to see what areas of Mexico are on the advisory, and if they say do not go, do not go. National security and foreign policy expert Dr. Nola Haynes says black Americans need to be especially mindful when traveling. I've traveled a lot. And I remember one time I was on my way to Central America and I was having a conversation with some friends and one of my friends joked, oh, don't worry about it, you'll be safe. They don't kidnap black people. Now, for the black folks who actually think that out there for whatever reason, thinking that we don't have enough uh, maybe financial worth that you know, to, to kidnap, to get a ransom for, or to think that there might be some sort of kumbaya symbiosis between black and brown folks. No, we are Americans, point blank simple. And that is how we are thought of. So please do not think because of the color of your skin, you are somehow immune to this sort of vicious attack.
Welcome back. That's video from the biggest and longest protest movement in U.S. history following the death of George Floyd in 2020. Tens of thousands gathered to exercise their First Amendment right, constitutionally protected activity. Well, that didn't stop the feds from targeting them. There's new evidence that the FBI infiltrated these protests. The Alphabet Boys podcast claiming the feds used informants to try and dig up dirt on protesters, disrupt the movement, and even incite violence. No after George Floyd's death in 2020, millions took to the streets demanding social justice. People here in Minnesota are saying to people in New York, to people in California, to people in Memphis, to people all across this nation, enough is enough. Including local Denver activist Zebedias Hall. First of all, tell me that you love me. Zebedias, who also goes by Zeb, was very active at protests in 2020, becoming somewhat of an organizer. I'm a very outspoken black man. I was always trying to get people to work together. You know, I worked with uh, people I didn't agree with. Uh, I was always willing to talk to others. He knew the regulars on the scene. And then one day, a new guy showed up. I can't hear you! You know, when I first see the guy, I'm like, yo, this guy is in a... Silver Hearst, you know, uh, you know, what, what is he doing here? He went by the name of Mickey Windecker, claimed to be a war veteran who had also done time and drove a hearse full of guns. But Zeb says Mickey didn't just start joining the protests. Eventually, he started leading them. How did you guys allow a white man to not only infiltrate your group, but become one of the leaders? He would actually tell people where the cops were. And in the beginning, it seemed like, okay, you know, it's keeping people safe because if the cops are over there, everyone else goes over here. A new podcast says there may have been good reason Mickey knew where law enforcement would be. That's because he was allegedly working with them. We are going to expose how the Federal Bureau of Investigation infiltrated and undermined the racial justice movement during the summer of 2020. Investigative journalist Trevor Aronson says he received more than 300 pages of FBI reports and hours of undercover FBI recordings detailing Mickey Windecker's alleged role as an FBI informant. Video look good? Yep. A story he details in the 10-part podcast, Alphabet Boys. The FBI describes this informant as coming forward to the FBI to basically be a volunteer Captain America. You know, so he, he saw- volunteered, he he reached out to them. He, he came to the local police and then they, it was referred to the FBI. It was, it was the informant who claimed to the FBI that he had information on these racial justice protests. This, there was danger happening and he wanted to help. I got a song for you guys. Trevor reports that Mickey did more than just gather information. He's accused of inciting violence. A few times I really, really hung out with him. These conversations started turning to like, well, you know, we can take it all the way uptown or we can do this. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to agree to do anything violent by any means. That's not the case. Was he trying to encourage people to do things that they might not otherwise do without his instigation? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The podcast claims Mickey was the driving force at this protest where things got out of hand. Trevor says Mickey also made protesters distrust each other by, quote, snitch jacketing or accusing them of being the informants. Convinced one of the activists, a felon, to buy him a gun, 
And most shockingly, the podcast reports Mickey tried to advance a plot to kill an elected official. He had attempted to take two racial justice activists and push them toward a plot to assassinate Colorado's attorney general, Phil Weiser. He had discussions about this. Ultimately, both activists backed out, unwilling to get involved in this plot. He knew this was an opportunity to make money. How much money are we talking about? The payment records we have for Mickey Windecker um, encompass only part of that summer, and, and he was paid more than $20,000 based on the records that we have just during that roughly six, six to eight week period. This is an informant who may have made as much as $120,000 a year working for the FBI. It's important to understand that FBI informants can get paid a lot of money, but they only get paid when they provide information and provide information that's useful. So if Mickey Windecker goes into the racial justice movement, comes back and says, hey, I met all these activists and they're peaceful people, didn't see anything happening, he's not gonna stay on the FBI payroll. The significant question that's worth raising here is whether the FBI was using this, trying to entrap activists in these crimes as a way to undermine the movement. If true, it wouldn't be the first time. The FBI has a long history of targeting black leaders and civil rights organizations. The counterintelligence program is a program that begins in 1956 under the aegis of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. The intent of COINTELPRO is to put under surveillance black leaders and organizations that they deem a uh, subversive to the United States and an enemy of the United States. The surveillance includes um, audio surveillance, film, photographic surveillance, infiltrators, uh, placing someone close to the Black leader organization to follow them around, uh, and sometimes to instigate illegal activity as a way for the federal government to uh, arrest those persons. People like Paul Robeson, people like W.E.B. Du Bois, certainly you get early investigation and surveillance of Martin Luther King Jr., who is perhaps obviously most well-known, along with Malcolm X. Jagger Hoover, the head of the FBI, said on June 5th, 1964, do something about Malcolm X. In less than a year, he was assassinated. The FBI reportedly went back to their old tricks during the rise of BLM. We have Antifa. We have anarchists, we have terrorists, we have looters. We have a lot of bad people in those groups. In the beginning of the Trump administration, the FBI had defined black political activism as so-called black identity extremism, a perception within the FBI that black political activists may be inclined to violence. In an interview with Revolt Black News this year, BLM co-founder Patrice Cullors shared that she also suspected the FBI may have been targeting her. You're alluding to the idea that there may be other players who had an interest in silencing a prominent, effective black leader. Absolutely. I remember one person, a Sophia Noble in particular, who I called. And I remember calling her in tears and being like, why is this happening to me? And she was like, it's not really about you. It's about who you represent. And this is going to happen every time in history when there is a, an effective, prominent leader. And I felt callous, but it also was like, Okay, let me let me do more work on like kind of understanding history. Trevor says the FBI declined to comment on his reporting or answer any questions. If you're trying to implicate that I'm a f-ing snitch, check this out. Three things I ain't a punk, I ain't a bitch, and I ain't a f-ing snitch. 
He says Mickey Windecker vehemently denies having worked as an informant. We weren't able to independently locate Mickey for comment, and the FBI declined our request for comment. As for the investigation, for all the reported time and money spent on looking into Denver's BLM protesters, only one thing stuck. Remember the felon who illegally bought a gun because Mickey allegedly asked him to? Well, that was Zeb. He was arrested and later sentenced to three years probation. But after he uh, asked me... If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. To murder the attorney general, you know, at this point, I'm like, you know, I'm kind of scared to back out. And uh, so I figure... Yeah, I'm gonna have to get this guy this gun. You know, I bought it, but I only did it because I was afraid. But I still caught the charge. Zeb might be the only one who caught a charge, but he says Mickey still inflicted a lot of damage on the movement. It helped so much in just absolutely destroying it. You know, there was so much cohesion at one point, and over time, you know, it just uh, you just start seeing people leaving. And then when you have people that are outcasted, you know, uh, labeled the snitch jacket. It really, really destroyed a lot. If you could say something to Mickey, if he was watching this, what would you say to Mickey today? Yeah, f you, I hate you. And we know there are Mickeys in every state, but far worse. Coming up, you probably don't think of swimming as a sport that black athletes dominate. Well, that's about to change, and it's not the only unconventional sport that they're diving into. OnlyFans is like, Ha most of the girls don't have sex at all. It's just right. sexy pictures and like, or like twerking or, you know, dancing or whatever. Welcome back. That's Amber Rose on the podcast, Sophia with an F, talking about the business of OnlyFans. The company has seen explosive growth, 9,000% in the first five years, thanks almost entirely to adult content. And unlike with virtually every other social media platform, on OnlyFans, several black women are among the top earners. Sex sells. Hit me on my OnlyFans. Watch me dance. Now you can subscribe to my OnlyFans. And OnlyFans is the marketplace. Could you close your eyes, Isaiah? He ain't my man, but he follow me on OnlyFans. I'm really focused on OnlyFans. Paying creators an estimated $5 billion each year. And here, it's black women who are making bank. I just made six figures on my OnlyFans. Cardi B's 2022 OnlyFans income is estimated to be in the millions monthly. Reality star Erica Mena reportedly also pulls in seven figures a month thanks to the site. And the top earner on OnlyFans, according to analytics company Statista, Black China, who they say brought in an unbelievable $20 million a month in 2021. It's for your fans. And like the reason why I started it too, obviously I want the money, but... I was always, I got always seen it, you know what I mean? But I was like, nah, if I do that, people don't think I'm like doing some pornos or something like that, ain't nothing like that. But then when I um, executive produced OnlyCams on Zeus, I was like, this is a perfect opportunity to go ahead and start the OnlyFans. It's estimated that 70% of the content is not safe for work. On that demon time, she might start her OnlyFans. Only 
and the creators who make more than $100,000 a month fall into the adult content category, compensating sex workers of color in a way we rarely see. I focus on female pleasure and um, black intimacy and black sexuality. Adult filmmaker Sage the Flame used to work as a stripper. Now she's traded lap dances for a laptop, making content from home. This is the bedroom where the magic happens. So basically I have a bathroom here and a closet here so I can set up my tripod to catch like this angle or I can set up my tripod to catch this angle. Sage says she makes the same money that she made stripping, but with none of the risk. My particular strip club was, I felt very safe in it. That was not, you know, that's not always the, the sentiment among strippers, especially strippers of color. OnlyFans gave me an opportunity to, to take more control over my safety, right? I make content from the safety of my house, from my home. I decide who I want to make content with. I produce everything myself and I'm able to monetize that. Research shows that in-person sex workers have a 45 to 75 percent chance of experiencing sexual violence on the job. But reports of rape by sex workers are low because, number one, rape shield laws often don't protect sex workers. And two, many are arrested after reporting, with 42 percent of adult prostitution arrests being black sex workers. This is not the Sesame Street or Barney's Playground. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, this is... The streets are rough. Man, it's hell, you know? When the pandemic hit, COVID-19 lockdowns created a huge problem for sex workers. People could no longer go out and seek sex work in the open world. And so when these content creators, they, they saw an opportunity. Just like Zoom saved office workers, OnlyFans gave sex workers a virtual alternative that was more lucrative. I've spoken to sex workers about this and how they kind of compare their work prior to the pandemic and now on OnlyFans, they're, they're completely in control of what they put out. They're completely in control of who they're giving their content to, and they feel safe. Former pimp Big Chutch moved his business off the streets and online during the pandemic, now managing three OnlyFans creators. Now, you know there are people who call you an e-pimp. What I do is I, I help women commodify themselves in the best way possible, especially if they already are about doing that. So I don't do any coercion or anything like that. And what's the business arrangement? What's the split? What's the split? Well, with with my main one, you know, with like my girl, like that I've like came up with and all that, we kind of just shared. So, but what is your expectation on the split? There must be some expectation. With my main, we don't really split. It's just all one and the same. But then if I work with other girls or something, it's like 60, 40, you know, because Who's I have to pay me. So you're getting 60% of the revenue and they're getting 40%. They're not putting in a lot of legwork though. Like they do that, but then they don't work on the, like the page that much. Okay, do you, does that seems like a fair split to you then? I have to pay for a lot of stuff. They don't pay anything out of pocket, like out of the whole cut. He gave us the receipts to prove that he and his team have grossed nearly $1.6 million over the last three years. So how does this work? Well, there are pretty much two ways to make money on OnlyFans, subscriptions and selling access to individual items like photos and videos. So 
you could either have a bunch of people come in for free and then you sell them stuff or you have them come in and they have to pay to come in but then you'll still probably sell them stuff something could be uh ten dollars twenty dollars that same thing you could sell to somebody else for like two hundred dollars he says he makes sixty thousand dollars a month on his main page OnlyFans takes twenty percent off the top OnlyFans has no explore page so he says promotion is his biggest recurring monthly expense at ten thousand dollars a month leaving a profit of roughly thirty eight thousand a month But he says there are other expenses that he covers, like hair, makeup, clothes, and plastic surgery for his clients, plus the cost of actual production. I don't put a limit on time, so are you going to be okay holding the camera for hours? Sage won't give us specifics, but she says she makes thousands each month and pays 30% to a manager after OnlyFans takes their cut. So, for every dollar she makes, OnlyFans takes 20 cents, her manager gets 24 cents, and she keeps 56 cents on the dollar. But not everyone's raking it in. The CEO of OnlyFans, Emmer Polygon, declined our interview request. But what the company does say is that the top 1% of accounts earn 33% of all income, and the top 10% earn 73%. And it's not entirely without risk. I feel like a lot of people like dehumanize us and they forget that we're regular people that have feelings and emotions. YouTuber Peyton B was devastated when her OnlyFans content was stolen and shared widely across the internet. She had to hire an insurance company to get the images taken down and to keep it from happening again. It was a nightmare because doing sex work is something that I kind of wanted to be a little bit more private. I- And there are risks even for those who don't create explicit content, like 22-year-old social media star Mulan Hernandez. I actually had a situation where I had someone who was on my OnlyFans stalk me, like, and it was really, really crazy. They came to my house. Well, they were stalking you in real life, not just online. And it was from a whole different state. They lived in Wisconsin. They flew into Houston. Somehow they figured out where I lived. Um, this is actually last month, and they actually got up and into my building. Wow. And it was, like, super, it was super real for me because, like, he was armed. I feel like us as young women, we have to make sure we protect ourselves in what we post. Milan has stopped doing some of the more explicit content she used to make when she first started at 18. Still, she says she earns between two and 300000 a year on OnlyFans. And Sage just had her best year ever. I started making... Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before.
making six figures in 2022. So that was the first year I started making six figures and I've been on the platform since 2019. And it's been a, a, a steady increase. You know, it's not like I went from zero to 100 very swiftly, but honestly, I am very happy with where I am. Coming up after the break, could this Oscar season go to Angela Bassett? We are with her biggest supporter just days before movie's biggest night. That's up ahead. back. While black athletes dominate certain sports, swimming is not one. But that may be changing. Kennedy Rue is back with that deep dive. Hey, Kennedy. Hey, Mara. Yes, Howard University's men's swim team recently made headlines for not only gracing the pages of Sports Illustrated, but winning their first championship in more than 30 years. It's the latest example of black athletes getting into sports we traditionally watch from the sidelines. And the bison are making history. The Howard University men's swim team just won the NEC Swimming and Diving Championships. Talk to me about the Sports Illustrated article and how it felt when that came out. First off, when I saw the picture, I was like, y'all look good. <laughs> I was like, my teammates look really good. Yes. Um, they look like, you know, we're about business. I was just proud. It's different hearing it and being on the team, but it's also different seeing it. Seeing is believing for 20-something mid-distance swimmer Madison Freeland, who along with her fellow teammates and siblings, Luke Kennedy and Zaley Elizabeth Thompson, boast bison pride. They are part of the team to dominate in a sport where only 1.5% of competitive swimmers in the United States are black. How does it feel for you guys to be the only all-black swim team at some of your meets in these spaces where, you know, we've been historically shut out? Um, honestly, it, sometimes it, it's even a shock to us because, mm -hmm. you know, we see each other every day, we train, um, we're always around people that look like us, and then mm -hmm. we go to a big competition and we're getting stares, we're getting looks. Mm -hmm. We're the only people who look like us and we're like, what, wait, what? Like, what's going on? Um, but honestly, it's just like being that representation, being that person that someone else or a younger girl or boy can look up to and be like, why, I, I wanna be like them. A team about representation and debunking the history and the myth when it comes to black people and taking to the water. Talk about where society's perception of that comes from. What's the history there? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's honestly a group effort. I'm a part of a, a huge team of people and, and um, movement of people that are a part of this team and that are really trying to work on making sure that people don't buy into the myth because it is just that, that black people don't swim. Um, our ancestral heritage proves that we were swimmers. Nicholas Askew is Howard's director and head coach of men and women's swimming and diving teams. How are you and your team showing up unapologetically black in this sport that has historically kind of kept us out? Being the only HBCU that has a swimming and diving program, a lot of our swimmers come in looking for this type of environment because the heavier percentage where our swimmers and divers came from areas and programs that they were the drastic minority. 
According to the USA Swimming Foundation, it is estimated that nearly 64% of African American children have no or low swimming ability, putting them at a higher risk of drowning. That's compared to 40% of white children. Access was also denied to us. Because, All white pools. Exactly, and, and even to the point where white people started moving out of the city. They started moving into the suburbs, and now pools became private and membership only. And Howard isn't the only HBCU making history as a first, taking non-conventional sports to another level. When Fisk came out with the first HBCU gymnastics team, I knew that I wanted to be a part of it. To be able to like have 15 other girls who look like me share the same connections as me, it's just super cool. One, two, three. Freshman Morgan Price is part of Fisk University's Power 15, leaping into history as the first ever gymnastics team repping a historically black college and university to compete at the NCAA level. Out of the pool and away from the mat, black athletes have historically faced major hurdles to break through in sports where black people were shut out. After the fanfares of the Olympic opening comes the most amazing performance by America's black streak Jesse Owens in the 100 meters. The world's most superb runner makes the others look as if they're walking. From Jesse Owens' Olympic gold win at the Berlin Games in 1936 to tennis champ Althea Gibson's historically cracking the door open in the face of racism. It remains a challenge for black athletes wanting to take part in unconventional sports. My name is Kareem Rosser. I'm a polo player. Take Philly polo player and athlete Kareem Rosser, who's swinging through in the equestrian sport. Being honestly the only black face in the crowd, it is intimidating at times. Uh, I wanted to come back here, you know, and show the, the little boys and the little girls, you know, this is what life could be like when you work hard and you're determined. You know, half the tournaments I go to, I'm like looking around to see if anyone in the country is looks like me, you know? <laughs> Standing on the shoulders of Althea Gibson and even tennis legend Arthur Ashe, Venus and Serena added to the increased visibility of black male and female players we see on the court today. Growing up, you know, and playing these tournaments when I was younger, I didn't play a lot. I didn't really see a lot of people that was my color. So I think I just got used to it. And then when you go like to Russia or, you know, a lot of these countries, <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, it, you just really kind of stick out. And from the let at the net to the swing on the links, the issue of race was always something young Tiger Woods faced on his journey. Every time I go to a major country club, always feel it. You can always sense it. Um, people are always staring at you. What are you doing here? You shouldn't be here. He proved he belonged on the golf course with his complete domination of the game. The return to glory. We can desegregate schools. We can desegregate our public golf courses. In the film Playing Through, golfer Ann Gregory changed the game in Gary, Indiana, becoming the first black female to play in the U.S. Golfing Association. I'm going to play my game one hole at a time. Because of the time period in which she was playing, and, and we're talking about 40s, 50s, and the 60s, in the sport of golf as a black woman in that time period, um, it's just a story that I think didn't make its way nationally or internationally in the way that you've seen some other athletes. Although she was a contemporary of Joe Lewis and Jackie Robinson and Althea Gibson. 
Gregory's granddaughters, Piper Overstreet White and Lori Overstreet Squire, say her place in history was a game changer. She took it all in stride and, you know, she wouldn't let it get her down, but I'm just going to keep on plugging. And, you know, eventually she broke those barriers. As black athletes continue to break new ground, one thing is clear at Howard, the bison are basking in their history while continuing to break barriers. What's your guys' message to other young black swimmers? Honestly, you can do it too. Listen, um, we came here thinking that, oh wow, we're actually in a collegiate sporting event. But being able to come to Howard, you know, Howard sets the tones for all HBCUs and being able to swim at a division one collegiate level is an opportunity that is close to none. And being able to represent not only ourselves, but other people in our community and minorities, it's just a blessing, honestly. As a fellow HBCU grad, I was so proud to sit with the coach and these athletes paving the way, opening minds about different sports and giving it a shot. Congrats to our black athletes shaking things up. All right, we'll be right back. Welcome back. As we build up to Oscar Sunday, Angela Bassett is definitely one of the big names that we're focused on. Regardless whether she walks away with the Oscar, she's getting major shine from Time Magazine and perhaps her biggest champion, her husband. This is my wife's season. So I've, you know, I've been waiting for this moment for her for 25 years. It's been close to three decades since Angela Bassett earned her first Oscar nod for her portrayal of Tina Turner in What's Love Got to Do With It. This Sunday, she's up for supporting actress her second Oscar. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Her nomination ever for her role in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I am queen of the most powerful nation in the world, and my entire family is gone. And she admitted to CBS This Morning's co host, Gail King, that she woke up at the crack of dawn when nominations were announced. I mean, so excited that I woke up at 3.45. I did not plan to do that. I set my alarm for 5.25, just <laughs> yeah. five minutes before. before. Sleep as long as I could. And so when they called the name... Angela Bassett in Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. I, went, I think I yelped, and then I went sotto voce, like... Oh. Uh -huh. Since her first role in the movie FX in 1986, Angela has been prolific, appearing in over 100 films and 120 TV shows. She's received an armload of accolades over the years, including most recently a Golden Globe Award for Wakanda Forever, often a predictor of Oscar glory. We show the world what black unity, leadership, and love looks like beyond, behind, and in front of the camera. Courtney B. Vance, her husband of 25 years, who was just honored in Los Angeles by the American Black Film Festival, says it's all in God's hands now. I've known that it, he's going to do it, but it's going to take 
time because when he does it, it's perfection. And it's gonna, when he does it, everybody, the whole world is gonna lift her up. So that's what's, gonna, that's what's happening. Uh, the, the time woman of the year and Gail King interview and Lawrence lifting her up. That's what time it is. So I'm, I'm just grateful to be here to witness how he works. I'm grateful. So, when, and when it happens, God willing, I'm, I'm just gonna go, okay. What you got for me to do now? And no matter how things turn out this weekend, we are crossing our fingers for Angela and giving her the flowers she so richly deserves. Absolutely, Kennedy, fingers crossed. Thank you. Well, that wraps it up for us. I am Mara Escampo. Thank you for being with us. And remember to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Revolt on YouTube, our Revolt Black News podcast, and download the Revolt app. Till next time, good night, everybody. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet, but if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. You will fail. So what? Everybody does. But your gym, your watch, your yoga pants, they pretend you won't. So when you miss a day, eat the pancakes. Give up on a workout? You failed? Seriously, what the hell? We're Body. We've been a part of that too, but not anymore. At Body, we're rejecting perfection and embracing reality. Not in a Pizza Monday kind of way, in a loving your whole life kind of way. In a, this workout is fun and it's okay if I take a week off kind of way. In an, I'm eating healthy and it's okay if I indulge kind of way. In a, I like myself no matter what kind of way. Yeah, you will fail. We all will. But we're not going to let that be the end. You see that? We're already making progress. So let's keep going. We are Body. Start your free trial at body.com. That's B-O-D-I dot com. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba ba ba. At participating McDonald's.